ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. For more than five years, Australia and the European Union have been trying to hammer out a free trade agreement without much success. Agriculture has been a major sticking point, with industry on both sides saying no deal was better than a flawed one. It seems they'll all get their wish. Last-ditch talks due to be held in Osaka have collapsed before they even began, with neither side apparently willing to compromise. Minister for Agriculture Murray Watt is speaking to David Lipson. Certainly uh, we haven't been able to make progress uh, at this latest round of negotiations Uh, and I had a lengthy chat with Don Farrell, the Trade Minister, who's in Osaka, spoke to him last night. Um, What what Don has said and remains our view is that we would like to do a deal with the EU but unfortunately they haven't been prepared to put on the table a significantly better offer than what they've offered before. So what that means is that one day we'd like to think that we can enter a deal with the EU, but I think it's going to be quite some time. Uh, The EU next year will go into its election cycle. Uh, It's always much harder for countries and regions to negotiate these sorts of trade agreements uh, on the eve of elections. So I think it will be quite some time before any Australian government or any EU uh, leadership uh, is able to negotiate a deal, and that's a bit of a shame for both uh, Australia and the EU. So clearly the talks have collapsed. Why? Uh, In short, from Australia's point of view, um, the EU has not budged uh, significantly from the offer it put on the table three months ago. You'll remember that about three months ago, uh, negotiations didn't proceed because the EU wasn't offering enough, particularly when it comes to agriculture. Uh, And they've come back now with essentially the same offer with a couple of tweaks there. Uh, We've been utterly consistent throughout this process that we would only enter a a free trade agreement with the EU if it was in Australia's national interest and in particular if it offered new commercially meaningful Uh, access to the European market for Australian agriculture, and that hasn't happened. Um, So, as with any negotiation, it takes two parties to reach an agreement. Uh, Don went to Osaka uh, looking to do an agreement and make an agreement, but unfortunately, we just didn't get the movement on the EU side that was required for this deal to be in Australia's national interest. What about the Australian side? Were were Australian negotiators willing to give enough uh, of what the EU wanted? We, we've made a number of concessions throughout the process, and again, we're willing to do that uh, in Osaka, obviously up to a point. We weren't, we're not ever going to be doing a deal where we sell out Australian producers or sell out the Australian national interest altogether, but we were willing to make some concessions, and the EU was aware of that. Uh, but I'm not sure whether it was about the impending election cycle that's coming in the EU uh, or the political influence of their farmer lobbies, but we just weren't able to see the EU increase its offer for things like beef, sheep, dairy, sugar, enough for us to think that this deal was in Australia's national interest. It's a huge, huge market and, and, you know, a deal, you know, a good deal at least, would have had huge benefits for Australian farmers and exporters. Uh, Are you personally disappointed? 
Yeah, I am disappointed that we weren't able to make it reach a deal with the EU. As you say, David, it is a large, high-value market, uh, and that's exactly why Don went to Osaka looking to reach an agreement. Uh, he and I uh, had many discussions together about what would be an acceptable deal for Australian agriculture. He and I personally met with representatives of Australia's agricultural uh, groups on many occasions to nut out what would be an acceptable offer, and we were prepared to compromise. We didn't expect to get everything, uh, but uh, Unfortunately, that hasn't happened. So I guess what we do from here is, you know, as I say in future, it may be that we can resume negotiations, but I think that will be some time away. But in the meantime... Uh, well, it's difficult to say. As I say, the, the EU uh, elections will be next year. I can't see them being in a position to resume negotiations before that. Uh, we've made clear to them that we think it's unlikely to occur within the, the, this current term of the Australian Parliament as well. So it could be some time. And, you know, there's a reason that no government has been able to reach an agreement with the EU up until now. As you say, these negotiations have been going on for many years. Uh, the EU takes a very strong stand. It's a very protectionist market when it comes to agriculture and they weren't prepared to budge uh, enough for it to be in our interests. But I, I guess the other thing that I would say is that you will have seen and your listeners will have seen that our government has done an, an enormous amount of work to open up new markets for agriculture. We've obviously gone a long way to stabilise the relationship with China. Uh, we've now been able to get China to lift about $18 billion worth of its trade impediments that it had on Australian agriculture, and we've seen trade resume in things like barley, horticulture, cotton, hay, other things as well. Mm. But in addition to that, and we've been opening markets in a number of other countries. In fact, in the last year, we've opened uh, new markets or reduced tariffs in over 100 different cases, and that's delivering up to about $5.5 billion worth of value for Australian producers. So that's probably where we'll be putting even more of our effort going forward. You mentioned a few um, items that uh, have had trade restrictions lifted uh, by China. What about wine? They've agreed to review the wine tariffs, uh, but there are other Australian products too, like lobster, that have still been effectively blocked. When can we expect that to change? Well, obviously that's a decision for China, but we keep advocating the need for that to change immediately. Uh, really, ever since we were elected, we've been advocating for the relief of those trade barriers across each of those different commodities. As I say, we've made good progress with most of them, but there do remain a couple of commodities where we still see those trade barriers. Lobster, um, some beef and sheep abattoirs are still blocked from exporting to China, uh, but I can tell you that I've raised those in meetings directly with the Chinese Agriculture Minister. I know that Don Farrell has done that with his, uh, his counterpart, the Trade Minister from China, and many of our, our other ministers have done so as well. And in addition to those ministerial level representations, we have regularly had officials from the Department of Agriculture lobbying their counterparts in China to, to try to satisfy whatever China's requirements are there. I would, I would like to think that as each of these different commodities is resolved, that we can move on to the next one. Uh, and I know uh, that representations have been made again on matters like lobster, beef and sheep since we were able to uh, get that agreement with China about wine. So I'm optimistic that we can get there uh, and we'll keep working hard until we do. So what were some of those sticking points that prevented a deal from being done? For many, the EU's desire to impose new farming practices on Australian producers and to ban Australia from using product names, including Parmesan, mozzarella, feta and Prosecco, was a bridge too far. Despite that, the president of the National Farmers Federation, David Jahinki, tells Thomas Ariti he's still hopeful that an agreement can be reached. 
Well, for starters, we are supporting um, the Minister's efforts in trying to come to a conclusion of these negotiations, noting that they have been extremely difficult to date. And at the moment, we're not going with the narrative that um, all hope has been lost in this round at the moment. We are understanding that there's still meetings being held, of which we've made it very clear of what our asks are around agriculture, and noting that there hasn't been a lot of movement. But once again, we, we've been in constant contact with both Mr. Minister Farrell's staff um, and directly with himself, and we're supporting his current stance and how he's working with industry to try to get an outcome. You mentioned there, you've made it very clear what our asks are. Just in, in brief, what would you like to see happen as part of this deal? Um, what we're not seeing so far is a commercially uh, attractive deal for agriculture to get our agricultural products into what is a very large marketplace for us and so a marketplace that we already have very strong um, trading ties with. So when we talk specifically, it is around getting better access for beef, getting better access for sugar and getting better access for our cotton. Um, and overall, there is obviously other concerns around, as mentioned at the start, how we trade with the EU and what some of the regulations and asks that they have upon Australian agriculture. Okay, so let's say, and you said there you, you, there are still some meetings going on, your hopeful negotiations will continue, but let's say this is dead in the water and, and the negotiations have failed. How will that affect farmers around the country? Well, once again, we're, we're not running with that at the moment. We're definitely I, I know you're not running supportive. with that line, but I know you're not running with that line, but surely you've, you've sort of mapped what could happen here if the negotiations fail. Potentially, these are hypotheticals, sure, but how would that affect farmers around the country if they do fail? Well, um, what we're going to be asked is that the conversations are adjourned and we can, can still continue to have those conversations. And obviously, if we're not getting good access to these markets, um, we'd prefer a no deal than a deal. So if the talks are heading in the direction that they are, we would rather reset, recalibrate and uh, ensure that we can still continue to do the trade that we have got with the, the EU and the current conditions and also make sure that um, any other trade agreements that are on the on the horizon also are beneficial for agriculture. So for us, yes, it will be a missed opportunity um, if, we, if we can't secure a better deal. But once again, um, Australian agriculture has many markets. Um, we would like to be participating in the EU market, but we're not going to do it at any cost. When we look at why it's been so difficult to agree to a trade deal, I mean, one of the issues is naming rights, right? I mean, the EU is not budging on these naming rights. I mentioned a few of them in the introduction, Prosecco, Feta, Mozzarella, Parmesan. Why is that such a crucial issue? How much would losing those naming rights cost Australian farmers, David? Well, there's a few um, parts to unpack there. First of all, it is the descriptor. When you go to the supermarket and ask for feta, everybody knows what feta is, everyone understands what it is, and everyone mm. understands its characteristics. So to replace that with an Australian-based name would take a huge undertaking for just both education in the Australian market, let alone then how we would introduce that to our other markets overseas. And secondly, in Australia, we are a very um, inclusive culture. We, we have these names because we've had generations of... Um, immigrants come to Australia and bring their their flavours, their tastes with them and we feel that it would be a loss if we were to just give those those naming rights up, those those um, descriptor names without having some meaningful concessions back. So for us, we're not interested in, in changing those names. Um, obviously, uh, everything is 
needs to be negotiated and worked through, but we've got a sense that we, we are a part of those names as well. Our producers are a part of those names, and we have some wonderful product here that can only be described very similar to those um, traditional locations or those traditional ways of making these products. Yeah, I keep thinking, I mean, our supermarket shelves would certainly look very different, wouldn't they? I keep thinking what other name we could give some, something like Feta that's, that's not Feta. So as you say, it would be a very expensive thing to rebrand and relabel and, and re-educate consumers. But this trade deal as well, you're saying it's very important. It could also help to diversify away from China, which has used economic coercion against Australia for a few years now. I mean, if that deal is so important, is the, the naming issue something that you would be willing to negotiate and, and reconsider or is that um, something that you don't want to touch? Really, we've got to see what's on the table and we've made it clear that um, with the Minister and we're supporting his efforts at the moment that we will um, support him as long as he makes sure he gets a good deal for us and that that's that's basically where we're at. And yeah. when it comes to geographical indicators or these descriptive names, um, we have seen some industries have to change, but if that is to occur, we, we need massive support. And unfortunately, um, when we talk about trade and we talk about industries such as dairy, um, the EU isn't very interested in how um, our dairy industry operates as far as um, wanting to give us more access because they are very large dairy producer themselves. So what we need to do is both have a dis discussion around what we're willing to negotiate off the table for what we, we was put on the table for us. And for us at the moment as a whole, um, we're team agriculture. We're looking to get the best deal we can for everybody. Um, and we're not sure exactly where that lands at the moment. And once again, we still believe those conversations are still have a chance, but um, we still want to have negotiations to continue regardless of the outcome. Growers had been urging the Australian government to walk away from the proposed agreement with the European Union. Chairman Owen Menkins told Jane Norman the deal on the table just wasn't good enough. We obviously were asking the government to walk away like other commodities. The, the numbers they're talking about isn't isn't viable for us to, to send sugar. It's such a little amount. So, yeah, we're saying that we were better off not signing the deal than signing a bad deal because these deals tend to last for you know, generations. So we'd, we'd obviously like a lot more uh, access, but we'd also like some of the um, sustainability arrangements around it uh, certainly make it very difficult for us to, to continue you know, with, with the way it's written as a moment. So, yeah, the whole sustainability conditionality, that's really become, I suppose, like in the late stage of the talks, one of the biggest hurdles. For a cane grower, what are the kind of things that you're worried about? I guess as far as we have a, a smart cane BMP program, so we have a sustainability program that we feel should be part of the, of the deal. And, and our program and our rules that we uh, do in Australia, the farming rules are totally different to that of, of sugar beet growers in Europe. So... I think we need to be recognised for our systems in, in our areas rather than getting uh, systems and, and rules imposed on us from, from Europe. As a grower, I think we, we stand up sustainability-wise anywhere in the world. We're, we're proud of the way we, we farm and uh, we're happy to uh, be measured by that. And some of the conditionality, that I'm not 100% sure what actually they're proposing, but uh, some of the, the noises I'm hearing it's, is there's some pretty strange things they're trying to put in there. So we're, we're happy to stand on our sustainability credentials and, and we're happy to be part of any, any deal. 
So most of Australia's sugar is exported. Why do you need a new market? Like, like how much would it mean to you? Yeah, well, obviously most of our markets are in Asia and, and we've got a full uh, full access up there. Mainly the this new market would be a premium market. It's a long way away, Europe, obviously, so they'd have to pay a lot more for the sugar to get it there, but they're willing to pay a premium because they want to access our sugar because we have a, a good system of transport and we have a good reliable product. Because of that premium, it is worthwhile for us to send sugar to you. And to make it worthwhile, how much sugar would you need a year? Well, you sort of need at least sort of 50,000 tonne of sugar for a, for a viable shipload. And I guess you want, you want it going up in the future. So you want an increasing amount. With the UK uh, deal, we had 80,000 tonne in the first year, and that was increasing uh, each year for the next eight to 10 years. So which which get to a top of 200,000 tonne, which makes it very viable for us to to sell sugar into that market. And, and we'd be looking for something similar in, into Europe. I mean, Europe imports 2 million tonne of sugar every year. So it's not like we're you know, knocking someone else out of the market. We just want to be part of the, the existing market that, that's there. We've had meetings with uh, the minister and um, you know, we put forward our... our issues with with the with the deal that's on the table and and he was he was good he was listened to us he understood our, our issues as well as the ag minister as well they were they were very they listened to our problems so they could understand where we came from you don't have there's no rush to sign any deal you, you know these things last a generation so you don't want to sign up to a bad deal and then uh, then we get caught up in it so um yeah these deals are, are very complex and there's obviously a lot of you know winners and losers in every deal but I guess it's up to us as, as you know, uh, cane growers and representing the sugar industry to put forward our industry's position and, and making sure that we're going to be a winner out of it and not a loser. Why do you reckon the EU has been so reluctant to sign up to a deal with Australia knowing that it already imports so much sugar? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously they've got a, a fairly strong farm lobby over there that uh, that is um, probably sometimes gets the information about Australian exports incorrect. I think that that's probably pressured a lot of their government. They've also imposed a heap of new environmental regulations on the farmers. So there's a bit of a, a push from the EU government to, to listen to their farmers more. So I think that's probably had created a lot of pressure on, on the uh, EU negotiators. But at the end of the day, they, they need to buy food from somewhere that can't cover their own sugar. So we just want to be able to, to access to that market. I think these trade relationships are good. We have, a, we have buyers and refiners in Europe and the UK who desperately want our sugar because of its quality, because of sustainability standards, and uh, we have a market for it. So I think a lot of these deals can make a big difference to, to us as farmers going forward.